You're listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LEFC. This is week two of the study In His Image. Today's teaching is entitled God Most Loving. So as we mentioned, love is a large topic, and it is a word that we use in English in so many different ways. If we can love our parents and love coffee, right, how's that even possible? So in typical WBF fashion, I feel like I looked up some definitions to help focus our attention and figure out what it is that we're talking about when we talk about love. So first, the Oxford Dictionary, and lots of others actually, focus on love being an intense feeling of deep affection. And love is defined as a warm-hearted attachment, enthusiasm, or devotion by Merriam-Webster. While I think that we could agree that that's not incorrect, ironically, it's the Urban Dictionary that went even deeper, (laughs) noting that love is self-sacrificing, putting someone's needs before your own. Who knew, right, that the Urban Dictionary could be so smart? The Bible Dictionary describes love as a consistent and courageous decision to extend oneself for the well-being of another. But my personal favorite definition for the love of God is from the Jesus Storybook Bible. Those of you who know me, that's not a surprise, uh, which is written by Sally Lloyd-Jones. And she explains that Jesus shows us what God's love is like. His wonderful, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always, and forever love. Divine love is hard for us to grasp because it is so high and beyond our experience. Our finite human minds have a hard time comprehending the infinite qualities of God. And as Jen states in our chapter, the world around us and our culture seem to be consumed with feelings and romantic love. I heard that Hallmark's already starting their countdown to Christmas. or sexual attraction. These are the things the world is consumed with. The truth is that on this topic and so many others, our thoughts need to be formed or more strongly reformed and regulated by what is revealed in Holy Scripture. I sometimes picture trying to understand theology a little bit like a small child, a preschooler, stretching up to reach the banquet table Those of you that are moms and grandmothers and aunts like me, you can picture that, right? Like the stretching a little. I don't need the booster seat. I can reach. Uh, (laughs) We can reach, but it does require some effort. So I'm going to invite you to stretch with me this semester and have our understanding of these attributes reformed by God's word. Now, scripture explicitly states three things about the nature or essence of God. First, it tells us that God is spirit. John 4.24 says, For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Second, God is light. 1 John 1.5 states, This is the message he has given to us to announce to you. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. And finally, the third is that God is love. Later in 1 John 4, this verse states, But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 
as the theologian Arthur Pink states, it's not simply that God loves, but that he is love itself. Love isn't merely one of his attributes, it's his very nature. It's an essential part of his essence. Or another way we might say it is that it's at the core of who he is. Now, of course, we're using lots of similes and likes because, again, God is so much bigger than our brains can comprehend, but hopefully these pictures and thoughts help us to understand in small ways. Now, because divine love is part of God's nature, it is unlike beyond our human capacity in many ways. For example, the love of God is eternal. God himself is eternal and has no beginning or end, and God is love. Therefore, as God had no beginning, neither did his love. We can see this in Jeremiah 31.3, which states, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. Also, he set his heart upon his people from all eternity. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5 states this precious truth for us. Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave him great pleasure. Friends, do you see that this means that even before time, as we know it, began at creation, God thought of you? God thought of me? And the thought of our future adoption into his family brought him joy? What a generous father we have. God's love is also uninfluenced. Nothing in us attracts or prompts his love. Rather, it is free, spontaneous, and uncaused by anything other than his sovereign will. Just one of the many verses for this, we can see in Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 and 8. The Lord did not choose you and lavish his love on you because you were greater or larger than the other nations, for you were the smallest of all nations. It was simply because the Lord loves you. So let's take a look at a few of the passages in the Old Testament talking about the love of God. We're going to start in Exodus 34, where we find God speaking about himself while conversing with Moses. This is on Mount Sinai. You may recall that the Israelites were quick to betray Jehovah and began worshiping the idol of the golden calf while Moses was up on the mountain for about a month. It's amazing how quickly they changed, right? So those first stone tablets were destroyed, and Moses is pleading now for a second chance for the people. And in verse 5, this is what it says. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and called out his own name, the Lord as Moses stood there in his presence. He passed in front of Moses and said, I am the Lord. I am the Lord, the merciful and gracious God. I am slow to anger and rich in unfailing love and faithfulness. I show this unfailing love to many thousands by forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion. His love does not 
fail. We also see God's love expressed in so many verses in the book of Psalms. It would take all night. (laughs) So I'm going to ask you to focus with me on Psalm 118. This is one that you can easily, I think, understand as a song being used to remind the congregation repeatedly of this truth. Again, reforming, reframing our thinking. His faithful love endures forever. So let's take a look at verses 1 to 4. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let the congregation of Israel repeat. His faithful love endures forever. Let Aaron's descendants, the priests, repeat. His faithful love endures forever. Let all who fear the Lord repeat. You can say it with me. His faithful love endures forever. How much are we like the people of Israel, facing challenges in life and needing to remind ourselves of this truth? His faithful love endures forever. God's wonderful, never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love is for us. Even when we cannot see, feel, or understand it to be so, this is truth. God's love for the world is at the crux of our faith, and that love is what led to Jesus coming to earth. That love compelled Jesus to become the atonement for our sins and die in our place. Jesus himself excuse me, speaks of the Father's love repeatedly. One of his most famous quotes in our Western world is found in John 3. It's important, I think, to remember that Jesus is speaking about himself when he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. And in chapter 10 of John, we find one of my very favorite illustrations that Jesus used to describe himself, the Good Shepherd. One of the ways his love is in action on our behalf is to care for and lead his sheep. I once heard that in biblical times, sheep pens were sometimes walled circular enclosures with just one opening. Can you kind of picture that? I'm sorry, I do not have a slide for that. But if you picture, you know, bigger than the table, but a walled surface with just one opening, the shepherd would sleep across the opening. This is how it was explained to me. So gather the sheep in at night, and the shepherd sleeps there across the opening. He is the gate or the door. Anything trying to get to the sheep must come through him. He provides for and he protects. And he sacrifices himself. Not only sleep and time and effort in caring for them, but his very life is laid down for you and I, as he states in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me, just as my father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. So speaking of sheep, this picture has been hanging in my home for the last 20 years. I purchased it a long time ago at a time when I was battling a lot of fear. Fear for my safety, fear about the future, 
you get the idea. At night, I would quote Psalm 4, verse 8. I will lie down in peace and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. And I would look at this picture to remind myself that the good shepherd had already searched for and found me, and that no matter what lies ahead, I am safe in his arms. This is how much I am already loved. This is how you are already loved. As Jen says in our chapter, right love of God is what enables right love of self and others. But our love of God is in response to his love toward us. So we need to know and believe that his love for us is true to be able to respond as we are called to. His love is the starting point. If you need to take that with you this week, think of this picture. I hope it encourages you too. How he loves us. So we learned this week about various Greek words for love. This is helpful since, as we noted, in English we use love for so many different things. Although we here might have an affinity for phileia due to our proximity to Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, or as the people who live there, I was lived there for almost a year, call it the city of brotherly shove. That's another, that's another story, right, for a different day. The word that's used over 250 times in scripture, as she mentions in our chapter, is agape, a love that acts. Jen describes the supernatural love of God in this way, unconditional, selfless, active, sacrificing, unflagging, unending agape. This is the love that we are to allow to overflow onto others. Jesus talks to his disciples often about the love of God, and he commands them to love each other. You were asked to read a few verses in your homework that we're going to revisit at this point. So let's allow his words to speak to us from John 15. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey me, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father and remain in his love. I have told you this so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. I command you to love each other in the same way that I love you. And here is how to measure it. The greatest is shown when people lay down their lives for their friends. You are my friends if you obey me. I no longer call you servants because a master doesn't confide in his servants. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father has told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit that will last so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. I command you to love each other. So because we are fully loved by his spirit, we can be empowered to agape others. Of course, this does not come without effort or cost. After all, it did cost Christ the cross. And as our chapter pointed out, following Jesus in loving others will cost us. Cost us our pride when we're called to be humble, 
cost us our very much valued comfort, our expectation of safety, cost our preferences and opinions, cost our entitlements, our financial and emotional resources, and more that we could list. But as we mature in our love for God, we grow in love for our neighbor no matter what it costs us. This is the kind of love that marks believers as distinct from the world. Do you remember our initial question at the start of the book? What is the will of God for your life? That you love as you have been loved. Just one final thought as we close. This agape love, loving our neighbors, families, co-workers, brothers and sisters in Christ, and even our enemies, is not something that we can muster up or will on our own. The good news of the gospel is that loving others isn't just about trying harder. Rather, when we recognize our deficit, our inability to agape another person, that is the time to confess our lack and look to Jesus because he has all the love that we need for that other person. I'm going to share with you a quote from A.W. Tozer that was originally written in the context of the believer's battle over sin. But I hope that you can see that it could also help us here as we think about how can we possibly agape other people in the way that God so lavishly loves us. But especially if we recall that illustration of Jesus, the good shepherd, I think this quote makes even more, is more applicable. Keep my eyes fixed on you, Lord. Help me to stop tinkering and realize my total inability to change. I look to you to change me and give me victory as I focus on your friendly eyes looking lovingly at me. Amen. Friends, his eyes light up when you look at him. He sees you and he looks back at you with love. I'm here tonight to beg you to believe it. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your monumental, never stopping, always and forever love. I ask that each woman here will go home tonight with full assurance of your love for her. And will you help us this week to rely on your agape love to overflow to those around us? We thank you, Jesus. We want to follow in your narrow way. In your mighty, matchless, beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen.